Hello everybody uh, and Kia Ora. So in today's session we will talk um, about the latest research and practices in freeway capacity analysis um, as well as the recommendations for updating Austro's guidance. We have more than 300 people registered for today's session so uh, welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Austroads and I will be moderating today's session. So first of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we're broadcasting today. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the regional people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Um, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. So the project that we are focusing on today uh, was delivered under the Transport Network Operations Program, which is managed by Richard Del Place. A bit of housekeeping for today's session. Um, so our presenters will speak for 40 minutes, and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The report today's session is based on and the presentation slides can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions um, for the Q&A at any time during the webinar. Uh, if you could name the slide number that your question relates to, that would be very helpful for us. Um, you can also use that same questions box um, if you have any technical problems, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your internet connection. So leaving the session, closing your browser and rejoin, rejoining the webinar again via your registration link usually helps. This session um, is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. Uh, and also, if you are listening to podcasts, you can find Austroads in your podcast app. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today, Graham McCabe and Paul Bennett. Uh, we will first hear from Graham McCabe. Graham is a transport planner and traffic engineer uh, with over 25 years experience in developing and leading transport planning and traffic engineering projects. A trusted advisor to government, um, Graham specializes in cost-effective holistic transport solutions and has worked closely with senior executives in Australia and uh, the Philippines. And our second presenter is Paul Bennett. Paul is a senior technology leader in the Future Transport Systems team at the Australian Road Research Board. Paul's expertise lies in traffic management, particularly with regard to traffic congestion. He provides research, consulting and information services to the Australian state, uh, road authorities and transport industry. Paul has led a number of Austro's projects um, to develop traffic management guidance. So welcome to you both and I will now hand over to Graham. Thank you, Katarina. Uh, look, um, thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, so um, as Katarina said, my name is Graham McCabe and I was the project manager uh, on behalf of Austro's for the project. Uh, the delivery of this project was uh, undertaken by ARB under the uh, project management and leadership of Paul Bennett. He also had uh, significant support from uh, Farana Nazin and Charles Carl. So the project was guided by the Austroids Working Group, who I'll describe in a second, who reports to the Austroids Task Force for traffic, uh, transport network operations, and the project was approved for publication by the Austroids Board. So the Austroids Working Group, uh, as you can see there, had representatives from each state and territory in Australia and New Zealand uh, uh, TA. Uh, and even though some of the states uh, some and territories uh, do not have a particularly uh, large motorway network, uh, they still participate participated in the process and we're really looking forward to uh, giving you the, the, the state of the art uh, guidance for Australian conditions. So I'll now hand over to Paul to talk through the detail of the project and processes. Okay, thanks Graham. Um, I'm going to begin by discussing the project purpose and objectives. And uh, these were to better understand the different deterministic and probabilistic methodologies for defining and determining freeway capacity, to develop agreed harmonised guidelines on freeway capacity analysis, 
and to provide recommendations for updating the Austro's guides, namely the Guide to Traffic Management Parts 2 and 3 and the Guide to Smart Motorways. So just to introduce this uh, topic, uh, freeways or motorways play a vital role in our cities. Uh, they're the major arteries of our road network. And while they are relatively a small proportion of the road network in terms of their road length, um, they do um, service a high percentage of vehicle kilometres travelled on the networks. And the productivity of a city's freeways directly impacts the city's economic productivity. So it's essential that freeways run efficiently, particularly during peak periods. And a freeway can only achieve its highest productivity if both appropriate design and appropriate operational practices are implemented. Now, there are a number of different um, types of capacity. So I'll just run through uh, the three key definitions. Of, there's operational capacity, which is the actual real-time capacity for a road segment, which can vary depending on prevailing roadway traffic and control conditions. So operational capacity is essentially the maximum flow rate a freeway segment can service, above which flow begins to break down. Then there's theoretical capacity, and this is the average capacity estimate of a road segment over a period. So if you're looking at a number of days of operational capacity and you plot all those together, you get the average and that's your theoretical capacity. There's also um, a number of um, theoretical capacity estimates for basic freeway segments under ideal conditions. So a basic freeway segment is an ideal straight flat section and assuming it's perfect weather conditions and light conditions, um, there's the theoretical capacity estimates for those. Then we have design capacity, which is the maximum sustainable flow rate for a freeway or motorway. And this is the maximum flow rate maintained by managed motorways to increase reliability and maximise productivity. So um, there's the need for uh, freeway capacity analysis. Um, so to measure capacity through the weakest links, merge, diverge and weaving segments. So we need to manage flows to prevent them from exceeding capacity and thereby avoiding flow breakdown. Uh, and thus we need to determine a freeway's operational capacity from which we can determine a sustainable design capacity. And ramp metering is one of the primary means uh, of managing flows at sustainable rates just below peak operational capacity. Uh, and we measure a freeway's capacity at its weakest link where capacity is most constrained. And these are at the bottleneck sections, either merge, diverge, and weaving segments. Um, and just to note that we um, determine carriageway capacity, not lane capacity, because capacity um, per lane reduces with increased number of um, lanes on the carriageway. As it, for example, if you've got a carriageway with four or five lanes, um, more lane changing was required when you get on if you want to go to the rightmost lane, and likewise when you want to get off, more lane changing is required to get off. So, as I said, the the lane capacity uh, reduces with additional lanes. So we began with a literature review uh, of current and emerging methodologies in freeway capacity analysis, both in Australia, New Zealand and internationally. And we first looked at the US Highway Capacity Manual's traditional deterministic approach. This is looking at a speed flow curve so you fit a, um, a curve to a point cloud representing individual speed flow measurements and you get that theoretical capacity I mentioned earlier at the apex of that curve. Um, but that is really the peak uh, capacity flow rate and it's really not sustainable. Beyond that you start to get flow breakdown. So design capacity must always be less than your theoretical capacity and generally it's no more than 90%. This is the speed flow relationship for basic freeway segments as seen in HCM 2010 and also 2016. So here we have speed flow curves because it's US, they're in miles per hour. And we also have the uh, levels of service in different density bands. Density is easily calculated by dividing the flow uh, with the speed. And then um, capacity is the maximum service flow rate at level of service E. So it's at this uh, dashed line between level of service E and F. That same diagram is uh, uh, adapted slightly in the Austroads GTM Part 3, uh, just to bring it up to kilometres per hour, but it's essentially the same diagram, the theoretical capacity of basic freeway segments. Um, and here you can see, I put a blue arrow um, 
for 100 kilometres an hour speed flow curve, um, that threshold between level of service E and F, you can see that it's, uh, the theoretical capacity is 2,300 passenger cars per hour per lane. Um, just to note that passenger cars is always conversion when you've got a percentage of heavy vehicles. The Germans in their HGM of 2015 uh, use a deterministic approach using the Van Arte model. Um, so this has a Van Arte equation for calculating uh, density. So what they do is they have um, a number of density classes or ranges. For example, class one is just zero to one vehicles per kilometre, class two, two to one vehicles per kilometre and so forth. Then you get the average speed for each density class and the point clouds you can plot the mid-range density and you can also multiply that density by the average speed to get a volume. Um, so that enables you to plot um, density versus speed and flow versus speed. Um, and then using those same average speeds, uh, you can put those into the Van Arte equation along with three model parameters. And these model parameters uh, vary depending on the number of lanes in the carriageway and also the free flow speed. Um, but they um, give you a calculated Van Arte density value multiplying that by the average speed in each density class and you can get a Van Arte volume. And they are the fitted curves, the red lines in these graphs that you can see here. So uh, the Germans fit the Van Arte curve to speed flow data in one hour intervals. Uh, so they determine capacity at the apex of the speed flow curve. So that's a theoretical capacity. And if the apex flow rate is higher than the 99th percentile flow rate of the entire sample, then capacity is taken as the 99th percentile value. They then recommend multiplying the nominal hourly capacity by 0.9 to derive design capacity. So I'll move on soon to talking about new approaches to freeway capacity analysis that recognise that traffic is stochastic. So I'll just talk a bit about what stochastic traffic is. So the definition of stochastic, if you remember, is having a random probability distribution or pattern that may be analysed statistically, but uh, may not be predicted precisely. And the movement of vehicles in random um, is random, such that the capacity reached before flow breakdown is somewhat variable. So uh, variables of vehicle movements within a traffic stream include their travel speeds, rates of acceleration and deceleration, for example, hard braking, uh, their headways and their lane changing manoeuvres. And the many factors that contribute to these variabilities in vehicle movements. Uh, some of these include the percentage of heavy vehicles, the mixture of passive and aggressive drivers, whether the drivers are familiar or unfamiliar with the road, rubbernecking, which is uh, turning ahead to look at an incident on the side of the road, and also wet weather and low light can play a factor in slowing vehicles down, as well as the road surface if it's wet. Um, or also line markings if they've changed that can have a, an effect on the movement in vehicles. So as the traffic density increases, the movements of just one or two vehicles in conflict with general traffic flow can cause perturbations, the transition flow from a steady to unsteady state. So for example, if you have two occurrences of flow breakdown on the same freeway segment, let's say Monday and Tuesday at the same time with the same initial demand and increasing flow rate, and in one of those instances, there's perturbations, you know, an unusual overtaking um, lane change manoeuvre by one or two vehicles um, causes the flow to break down earlier. And in that instance, the operational capacity is slightly lower in, in that uh, instance. Uh, so this is why we need long-term data to determine a freeway segment's theoretical capacity from the average of all the varying operational capacities observed. So it was Brylon, Gestefeld and Regler in 2005 that first introduced a stochastic concept in understanding of freeway capacity. And what they did is they adapted the product limit method, survival function used for lifetime data analysis to estimate flow distribution functions based on samples that include censored and uncensored data. So this uh, survival function, the product limit method, um, was first developed by Kaplan and Meir in 1958. And, um, their censored data in their example was when the subject matter of their experiment uh, survived longer than the experiment itself. Um, and censored data in uh, 
analyzing capacity is when demand doesn't uh, reach capacity, um, such that flow breakdown doesn't occur. Um, so this methodology estimates the likelihood that flow breaks down at a flow rate higher than Q, which is equivalent to the likelihood that it does not break down at any flow rate QI lower than Q. So there you see down the bottom the product limit method equation uh, that calculates the value of the cumulative capacity distribution function at a traffic volume of Q. And the curve uh, closely aligns with the uh, Weevil distribution function curve. So the Dutch adapted this product limit methodology for their stochastic approach to determining capacity. They used an aggregation interval of five minutes and took the median value as shown in the graph um, as the capacity value. Uh, and their starting point for designing motorways is that the uh, volume capacity ratio must always be less than 0.8, which uh, gives a probability of congestion within 30 minutes of less than 1%. Then in 2016, the uh, US Highway Capacity Manual developed a stochastic approach. This is actually found in the supplementary section of HCM 2016, uh, freeway and highway segments. And uh, you can see in this uh, diagram here, the dashed line is the pre-breakdown flow rate uh, that Im immediately precedes the occurrence of a breakdown event. Uh, the capacities for a freeway segment are then defined as the maximum 15-minute uh, flow rate that produces an acceptable lambda percent rate of breakdown that ensures stable flow to 100 minus lambda percent of the time. And that uh, default acceptable rate that they recommend is 15%. Then capacity is estimated by fitting a Weevil distribution curve to the observed probability of breakdown points. Uh, so it should be noted that the probabilities here are based on the number of observed breakdown events within each flow rate bin. They're not a total cumulative observation up to that flow rate, which uh, the product limit method does. Um, also, we have a concern with this approach, uh, given that they say 15% probability within 15 minutes. When you expand that out to a three hour period, i.e. a typical duration for a, a AM peak period, um, you expand that out to three hours, you've got an 85% probability of breakdown, which really is too high. So uh, Vic Roads, or Victorian DRT as they're now called, but I'll probably refer to them more as Vic Roads here. Um, in their motorway capacity guide of 2019, uh, they use um, both a deterministic approach and a stochastic probabilistic approach. Um, so I'll talk about their deterministic approach first. Like the Germans, they adopt the Van Ardi model. And here you can see a table with the, uh, the three model parameters uh, in a 100 kilometer an hour uh, free flow speed. And you can see there's different values for two, three, four, and five lanes for each of those model parameters. They use a one hour rolling average speed derived from one minute SVO data. And they also note that the Van Ardi is the only known model that enables a realistic description of all traffic states from free flow into transition to force flow in the speed flow diagram with a continuous curve. Um, they extend the approach um, to actually calculate productivity. So given we've got the average speed for each density class and we've got the volumes for each density class, you can calculate productivity being the product of speed and volume. And do that for both the pointed clouds and the fitted curve. So um, derive a Van Arty productivity. And then when you plot that uh, density versus productivity curve, at the peak of the curve um, for productivity, you determine what the density is. Uh, you can then um, use that to determine the volume at maximum productivity, uh, which is this arrow, second arrow in that bottom diagram there. Um, and as I'll show you soon, that, that closely aligns with the design capacity that um, DOT uh, use. So their uh, design capacity is what they refer to as their maximum sustainable flow rate derived through their stochastic approach. Like the Dutch, they use the PLM methodology um, adapted, uh, first developed by Brylon and co. Um, but the difference is they use 15 minute interval data, whereas the Dutch use five minutes. Um, 
And the maximum sustainable flow rates that they uh, determine are based on a 1% breakdown probability per 15 minute interval. And when that's expanded out to three hours, it's a 10% breakdown probability for a three hour peak period. So that's quite reasonable, I think. Um, this, if you can see on the y-axis of this diagram here, I've shown where 1% is. Um, so it's a difficult scale to show it, but as the curve just starts to increase, uh, there's your 1% flow breakdown risk. And that's just below 8,000. So what we're looking at here is actually a four lane uh, carriageway cross section. And here you can see um, the red curve is the maximum stable flow rate um, breakdown risk curve. And the blue curve is your productivity curve. And you can see with the red uh, vertical dashed line um, that goes through at 1%, uh, it's right near the peak of that blue productivity curve. Um, so what VicRoad says is that the requirements of both the road user and the operator are most aligned when the flow is close to the point of maximum productivity. So you've got that sustainable flow rate and you've got, uh, because you've got high sustained flows and speeds, um, you're maintaining a high productivity. Um, both Ostroads uh, and uh, DOT or VicRoads uh, note that further research and refinement of uh, procedures relating to capacity analysis in areas of high lane changing or weaving is needed. Um, so this diagram shows, for example, a weaving section where there's an on-ramp and off-ramp in close proximity to each other. You've got a number of vehicles from upstream moving into the left lanes to get off the motorway. You've got a number of vehicles coming onto the motorway from the on-ramp, moving into the right lanes. So that crisscross of lane changing is why they call it weaving. And um, it's noted, the German HCM and the US HCM note the design capacity of a managed motorway uh, operation is determined by its weakest link. And high weaving or lane changing segments are often the weakest link, particularly on unmanaged motorways, because of all that turbulence to flow that the lane changing causes. Um, it's pleasing to say that um, since we developed the report, uh, that Vic DOT have uh, recently developed a new approach for determining capacity through high weaving segments. So this is not in the report, um, but I want to um, introduce it now. Um, so the graph here shows decreasing maximum sustainable flow rates with increasing mandatory lane changing concentration. And I don't know all the details of this approach yet, but um, they tell me it's a transparent and consistent approach that is uni universally applicable. Uh, but they need more data from weaving and high lane, high lane changing intensity segments uh, to make this approach a bit more robust, robust with more data, uh, particularly from freeway data stations and turtle um, detectors uh, that identify actual vehicles so they can actually determine the number of lane changes to uh, get that lane changing intensity and how see how that correlates um, with decrease in capacity. Just a reminder uh, to send through your questions uh, using this uh, facility here in your GoToWebinar and it, um, as Ekaterina said, it helps to note the, um, the slide number if there's a particular diagram or the like that you want to discuss so we can go back to it during the question time. So the next thing we did in the project was practitioner consultations. And I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank all the practitioners that we interviewed uh, from just about all the jurisdictions. It was um, really insightful information that they gave us. Um, I won't go into all the details that um, were discussed, but you can read um, a summary of what was discussed in section three of the report and the individual um, notes from each consultation are in appendix B of the report. Generally, um, the objectives of the consultation, which would obtain an overview of the extent of each jurisdiction's urban freeway network in terms of their traffic demands, the data collected, the levels of operational management and current performance, identify current Australian and New Zealand practices in freeway capacity analysis, determine current use of the Austroads guides, both the GTM and the guide to smart motorways, assess the want and need for new agreed Austroads guidance and identify any concerns about achieving harmonised guidance. 
So just one slide on uh, current practice in freeway capacity analysis. All the jurisdictions conduct freeway capacity analysis on a case-by-case -case basis, with none of them yet doing it systematically. Most use the deterministic speed flow curve approach. They use lane level SVO data, typically collected in one minute intervals. Um, and then they sum the lane volumes and average, lane, average the lane speeds and occupancies to get the carriageway speed volumes and occupancies. And then um, the data is aggregated to either five or 15 minute intervals for freeway capacity analysis. Uh, but if you do have one minute interval data, you can make those five or 15 minute intervals rolling averages. So it just gives you a bit of higher resolution for your analysis. And currently Victoria leads the way in adopting and adapting new probabilistic methodologies. So we did a comparative study of the different methodologies. So as I've covered the US HEM stochastic methodology of 2016, the German methodology that uses the Bernardi method, the Dutch methodology that uses the product limit method developed by Braland, then VicDRT's maximum productivity, which is another adaption of the Bernardi method, and VicDRT's maximum sustainable flow rate, which is another adaption of the product limit method. So all the jurisdictions gave us data, but um, unfortunately we were only really able to um, have good enough data from Victoria, WA, Queensland and New South Wales. And um, even New South Wales had only um, 15 minute data resolution. So we weren't able to do uh, all the methods, for example, the, the Dutch method that requires five minute aggregation. Um, anyway, this is a summary. So uh, from Victoria, we had the Monash freeway, which is a managed motorway. Uh, from WA, we had Quinana freeway, Queensland centenary motorway and New South Wales, the M4. Those three are all unmanaged. All the sites had gradients less than 2%, had varying uh, heavy vehicle percentages. Uh, the capacity constraint of all was emerging, varying number of lanes. And as I said, um, well, Victoria, WA and Queensland all have one minute data and New South Wales just had the 15 minute resolution. So here's a summary table of the capacities calculated for each of those freeways or motorways uh, for each of the methodologies. And um, just for the sake of uh, relativity, we've got average capacity per lane. So you can see that the US HGM stochastic methodology is mostly higher, while the German Bernardi method is mostly lower. Uh, it's noted that the analysis were limited in sample sizes and breakdown occurrences. Um, we had a number of weeks of data that um, in some cases we didn't have ideally you know six weeks of data is ideal so we would expect that um, they would likely generate slightly different outcomes if analyzed for longer periods and we had more observations of breakdown um, but relative to each other we expect that we'd still get these um, relative um, capacity estimations so as i mentioned earlier um, the hm methodology fits the weevil distribution curve to the probability of breakdown in each bin while the other stochastic methodologies fit the weevil distribution to the cumulative probability of breakdown this is the one uh, one of the major differences that makes the hm methodology more susceptible to low sample sizes and we think um, the HM method is likely underestimates probability of flow breakdown at the higher volumes and therefore overestimates capacities at those higher volumes. So recommendations for Austroad's FCA guidance. We recommend adopting a similar approach to VicRoads or VicDOT in their maximum sustainable flow rate. Uh, so in summary, this is a sustainable flow rate suitable for design and operational purposes. It's a transparent and sound approach, provides high reliability and productivity. And it's worth noting that the percentage of flow breakdown risk can be higher than 1% per 15 minutes for freeways with shorter peak periods. So for example, in smaller cities that may only have a two hour peak period, um, when you, um, if you want to have the same 10% flow breakdown risk over your peak period, uh, going backwards into um, probability per 15 minutes, you could perhaps afford a slightly higher flow breakdown risk to achieve that 10% probability. We also recommend adopting a similar approach uh, to DOT's flow rate at maximum productivity. 
which a reminder determines capacity at maximum productivity by fitting the Van Arty curve to plots of density versus productivity and density versus flow. It identifies a point at which both um, speed and flow are maintained in maximum values. And it's good in that it provides a comparative value for checking the plausibility of the derived maximum sustainable flow rate. So as I said earlier, that alignment, um, they should be fairly close, your MSFR and your maximum productivity. Uh, before we can really um, write up this guidance in Austro's guides, um, we need to collect a common um, standardised curves. So in other words, we need to collect a larger sample of urban freeway data from multiple jurisdictions across Australia and New Zealand. Once we've done this, we need to aggregate it into the different segment types, i.e. managed and unmanaged, um, and different numbers of lanes, uh, different gradients and the tunnel sections as well, and also for varying percentages of heavy vehicles. Uh, upon aggregating all that, we can derive standardised curves. Uh, the flow breakdown risk curves you can see there in the diagram, down the bottom uh, for different numbers of lanes, and also the, uh, the Van Arty speed flow curves and the Van Arty productivity curves for different numbers of lanes uh, and different types of segments. So there'd be curves for each one of those. And we can allow jurisdictions, uh, if, even if they adopt this approach, we can allow them to determine their own acceptable risk of flow breakdown and their own maximum sustainable flow rates from the probability distribution curves. Having said that, we uh, would want to put in uh, recommended design values for carriageways um, for maximum sustainable flow rates. Uh, similar to those that are tabled in the VicRoads motorway capacity guide. So here you can see the table that's for managed motorways. You've got the different uh, percentages of heavy vehicles across the top there, and then you've got for the different number of lanes, there's a MSFR design value for each one of those. And that's for a gradient of less than 2%. Um, we'd also need to expand that. There's a number of tables in that um, guide, and we'd want to reproduce them all uh, in Austroids if we can. So we need different tables for managed motorway carriageways, carriageways for unmanaged motorways, tunnels in both managed and unmanaged motorways, and also um, different tables that account for the different gradients. Uh, so you've got less than 2% between 2 and 3, 3 and 4, and 4 and 5%. So the top table you see there is the table for unmanaged motorways with a gradient of less than 2%. And the table down the bottom is for managed motorways between four and five percent. So these are the example ones from the Vic Roads Motorway Capacity Guide, and we want to produce uh, similar tables um, for our guides, Austroads guides. Um, and it's worth noting that um, Vic Roads mainly just use data from their managed motorways, and they just really um, said that the design values for unmanaged motorways were just 85% of those calculated for managed motorways. So what another reason for collecting more data from across Australia and New Zealand is to derive more robust values for unmanaged motorways. Further capacity guidance. So there's a number of areas where we need further research and investigation. So capacity values for merging, diverging and weaving, including complex auxiliary lanes. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, Big DOT have already made a start on that. And if they um, can have more data for that, that would be great. Um, more detailed analysis of the differences between managed and unmanaged motorways, i.e. maximum sustainable flow rates, productivity, probability of flow breakdown, and capacity loss and recovery paths. Investigating the link between congestion and crash rate, and also the impact of type curve radii on capacity and productivity. So in conclusion, uh, all jurisdictions agreed traffic is stochastic and determining a probability of flow breakdown distribution curve is a sound approach. Uh, well, that was the general consensus from the project working group members from each of the jurisdictions. Um, managing peak flows at sustainable flow rates provides greater reliability of flow during peak periods and maximizes the freeway's productivity. Austroads guide should provide design values applicable to Australian and New Zealand freeways and motorways. 
flow breakdown risk probability curves and maximum sustainable flow rate design value should be determined from analysis of a much wider set of Australian and New Zealand urban freeway and motorway data. And it's still good practice to also undertake traditional speed flow deterministic analysis for comparative plausibility checks. So that completes the presentation and I will hand back to Graham now, I think, uh, to moderate the Q&A session. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Thanks so much, Paul. Um, so Graham, I'm here. Uh, just uh, yes. let me know if you need me to jump to any particular slide. Right, so we've got a few questions and as uh, people have said uh, a couple of times uh, during the presentation, um, feel free to use the uh, question uh, function uh, within GoToWebinar. Um, first question, Paul, uh, what do you think the risks of road agencies not uh, changing their methodology um, to follow the report's recommendations are? Uh, good question. I think as volumes on freeways generally increase, um, it's all about getting that design capacity. Um, so the traditional deterministic approach, um, just reducing the theoretical capacity uh, by a factor of 0.9 um, is not a very transparent approach. Um, and this new stochastic approach just gives uh, better design values uh, for sustainable flow rates. Yeah okay. Um, yeah. yeah, okay. And we've we've also had a question is, can you uh, define the difference between a managed and an unmanaged motorway uh, from uh, slide 47? Uh, um, well, I guess, yeah. Managed is, you know, primarily ramp metering and, and lane use management systems. Um, so ramp metering is controlling the, the entry flows onto the motorway. Um, with ramp metering, you can manage those flows through the segments of the motorway um, at sustainable rates. Um, so uh, it just controls with the ramp metering, uh, reduces that turbulence at the mergers, um, which enables you to get slightly higher design values. And, and just following on uh, from that, do you think that um, we should be using ramp metering to ensure that we're reducing the probability of flow breakdown so that we can you know, slide slightly further um, into those higher probabilities to, to maintain that sustainable flow? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, yeah, as, as long as it, you've got high um, volumes on a regular daily basis to warrant putting in ramp metering. Um, you can begin by just metering one or two ramps, but um, eventually, uh, as done in Victoria, you have a number of ramps uh, coordinated. So that um, allows you to control um, the flow right across the corridor of the motorway and just uh, better manage uh, the flows to avoid flow breakdown. Uh, and uh, a, a further question from that is that um, on slide, uh, sorry, we're referring to a specific table within the report. Um, uh, there's a, a table in the report which talks about ba basic freeway segments, but where you have multiple sets of ramps um, with uh, follow on basic freeway segments. Obviously, there's a bit bit more need for research. How how much research do you think is required into that? Do you think we need to be looking at specific locations or just general types of locations? Yeah, um, I think you're referring to that slide that had the the weaving section yeah. where you've got an on and off ramp in close proximity. Yeah, um, yeah there's. There needs to be more research in that. Um, I mean, it's generally the same approach for calculating capacity um, either way. It's, it's, but the key is determining how much turbulence is caused from the lane changing. So, um, as I said, DOT and Victoria are, are starting to do that, but the, the challenge is getting the data to really determine that. Um, yeah, because all the, 
every line change um, causes more turbulence, which reduces flow. And, and during the presentation, you talked a little bit about the New South Wales data being in 15 minute uh, lots and the Victorian data being in, in five minute uh, uh, recording periods. Um, do, have, we, have you made any recommendations in terms of that data collection and, and the managed motorway systems in terms of what they're recording? Um, yeah, it's always a, always a cost-benefit analysis, but um, yeah, the, the higher resolution data you can get, the better. Um, to really do this at the best level, to have the best control, once you get to full managed motorways, you really need that one-minute data. Um, yeah, but it's you've got to have the, the volumes and the, the congestion to warrant the expenditure, I guess, but you've got to plan ahead because all, all jurisdictions, all, all cities are growing. So. Yeah, and we've, we've had a, an interesting question here about crashes. Uh, did the study incorporate um, any reflection on, on crashes um, and how that affects the, um, the uh, main um, flows? No, we didn't specifically look at that. Um, you know, if, if an incident closes a lane, that it has a dramatic effect. Um, and more research, I think in one of my last slides said that more research is needed in that area. Um, but yeah, um, I should um, mention that when you are trying to determine capacity through a bottleneck section, if there has been an incident further upstream, um, that can cause um, a wide moving jam to, to flow back upstream into the bottleneck section. Uh, you want to uh, eliminate that um, essential flow breakdown from your analysis of the bottleneck section because it's not attributed to occurring in the bottleneck, it's happened further upstream. So um, it's important to uh, eliminate those instances. That's why um, I haven't mentioned it here, but you not only look at the data, the SVO data within your bottleneck section, but you look at the SVO data at the next uh, site further upstream. So you can eliminate those occurrences because you're trying to. Um, look at observe observations of flow breakdown that occurred within your bottleneck, not from further upstream that came back um, through congestion. Yeah. Um, we've got um, a, a technical question about slide 41. Thanks, Katarina. Uh, and that is that uh, the table lists the USHCM stochastic method. However, the note below talks about um, that the HCM methodology fits a Wavell distribution. Um, yeah. you just um, provide some um, clarification on that. Oh, um, yeah, I might have to ask someone else about that um, in terms of, um, might be a slight variation of the Wavell, but yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, <laughs> dig, dig into the report. I can now follow that up with the written yeah. response. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, does um, the study and analysis consider future technologies such as connected and automated vehicles on design capacity? So I suppose the I suppose yeah. that question really is: Will we need to refit the curves at a future date as vehicles become more automated? Uh, potentially, um, yeah, it, it, they will likely have a, an effect on headways um, and it may be when we have fully autonomous vehicles that they're just operating in one lane. Um, so if when we get to that stage, I think there will be a bit more work to be done in that stage. But um, my feeling is that probably some way off before there's enough autonomous vehicles or, or even connected vehicles um, to really impact um, the traffic in that sense. And if you could um, provide just a just go over again the um, productivity of the the speed and flow. So the question is um, is the maximum productivity um, a product of the free free flow speed and flows at 90% on the speed curve shown. So I think that's about 
slide 41. Uh, sorry, uh, 26, sorry. Right. Yeah. That's 27. Uh, sorry, the, the, the person asking the question didn't give me a slide reference there, so I was just trying to find it. Yeah. Maybe it's 27. Uh, what was yeah. the question again? Uh, oh, so if you just, just explain again um, how the uh, productivity parameter re relates to capacity. Um, so productivity is the product of speed and flow. Um, so, uh, you know, your um, speeds drop as your flow increase. So it's, it's that, I guess, that point where they're... Um, the, the product of the two of them is such that you have a maximum value um, for productivity. And the key is when you've got a design capacity that's sustainable, um, at, that closely aligns with that um, sustained high flow and high speed, um, you achieve that maximum productivity over your peak period. Okay. Uh, and uh... Do you think there would be any benefit of increasing speed limits on freeways to improve the maximum sustainable flow rate? Um, uh, oh, I'm not sure about that. Um, yeah, I think there's the risk with increasing the speed limit too. Um, and we're talking about um, peak periods where often you know you get to that point you're not traveling at 100 kilometers an hour anyway uh, so yeah i guess that there's a safety element to that question and yeah i can't really answer it fully okay and i th um uh one last question how how do you propose that austroads implements the fca guidance uh into its existing guides or uh, as uh, as separate guidance. Um, well, there's the guide to smart motorways, um, and perhaps that could be updated. Um, it might be best fitted in there, um, and yeah, it could be um, if we're continuing to up, update the uh, guide to traffic management, then um, the spots within parts two and three of the guide to traffic management where we could um, add this. Uh, these stochastic approaches and put in the design values. Yeah. Great, and we'll just give it um, another 30 seconds or so for any additional questions that uh, people may have. Uh, uh, just as a um, just as a side question, what was the most enjoyable bit about doing the study? Oh, um... I just enjoyed learning about these new stochastic approaches um, and they make sense given that um, traffic is stochastic and the point at which flow breaks down is quite variable. Um, just looking at that relationship between um, the movement of vehicles at you know, high densities and, and how flow breakdown can occur. Um, it was just interesting to see um, these new emerging approaches and. Um, yeah, that was probably the, the most interesting part about the project. Great. And well, I th yeah, thank you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, I think we have um, no additional um, questions. So I think we'll wrap up the Q&A there. So over to you again, Katarina. Thanks so much, Paul and Graham. Uh, great presentation, very interesting Q&A. And uh, yeah, that's uh, we will just wrap up. And before we do that, a few words about our next uh, sessions. Um, Oops, there's one question. Can we quickly run through how curve alignment affects? Oh, yep, and there's another one. <laughs> so yeah, um, first question. Can we quickly run through how curve alignment affects capacity? So it's one of the last slides. I'll just go through there. And there is another yeah. question here as well. Let me just jump to, uh, would that be that yeah. slide? Um, yeah. Well, the, the one, 48 probably, I think. Yeah, Put it. Yeah, that's yeah. So um, yeah, the tighter the curves uh, generally slows traffic down, and of course um, 
capacity being a flow rate, um, the tighter the curve, the lower the capacity. So that we need to look at, um, this, this slide is saying that more research is required uh, to look at the relationship between the curve radii and capacity and productivity. Yeah, and the and the the last question there, which I, I think is starts out as a as a comment, but um, the term productivity might not be that well understood. Um, do you think there's a better term that we could use? Um, uh, I guess it's talking about the productivity of the motorway to service the city. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's another word, but I think it's fairly appropriate. Um, all these people are getting to work, they want to be productive. Um, so it's about, um, as I said in one of my earlier slides, if if the freeways aren't operating, um, it affects the productivity of the city because people are on their way to work or on their way home. And um, yeah, I don't know if, if, if that person thinks of a better word, they can let me know, but I tend to think it's an appropriate word. Thanks, Paul. Um, all right. Um, and I just wanted to bring your attention to a couple of uh, webinars that we will have in the future. Um, so on the 23rd of March, um, we will talk about a practical tool that we've developed to help practitioners um, select the appropriate on-road public transport priority treatments uh, for any road scenario. Um, and on the 22nd of April, please join us for the session on uh, capability building in network operation planning. Um, and to learn more about all of the sessions that we have currently on our calendar, just uh, visit um, our website. Um, and as usual, um, once we close out today's session, there will be a questionnaire um, on your screen. Please take a couple of minutes to fill it in. Let us know what you think, what you liked, what you didn't like, what suggestions you have for future webinars. Um, and there will also be a follow-up email within a few days uh, for you with a link to the recording. Um, so thanks again, everyone. Thanks, Paul and Graham. Uh, thanks to the audience for your questions. Um, have a nice day um, and we hopefully to um, see you next time. Thank you.